I would say the majority of my tenants I'm finding on Facebook now, that's really changed actually in the last few years. It used to be I would find them all on Kijiji. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larvey. Welcome back. I'm Sarah Larby. You are listening to Where Should I Invest? I'm excited to have Scott Zanbergen on today's show, who is another person that was able to use the Burr strategy, buy, renovate, rent, refinance, repeat, to also leave his corporate job. So we talk about that. And when he did it, it was actually at the start of March, about a week before all the shutdowns happened. So we talk about that as well as uh, a lot of interesting things in how he was able to leave his full-time job and, uh, and how he's been able to do that using the best strategy, in my opinion. Again, there's pros and cons to every strategy, but this is definitely my favorite using the Burr strategy. And speaking of Burr, if, uh, if you are interested in learning in-depth information, my one-year, 12-month ongoing course starts January 2nd to, or first Tuesday of every single month and the third Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern time. There are two live calls, guys. If, uh, if you haven't joined, there are a few spots left. So don't uh, forget to check that out, sarahlarby.com, and then just click on the Burr Freedom Community. So I hope you guys enjoy this podcast and uh, see you next week. Scott, welcome to the show for time number two. How are you? I am excellent. How are you, Sarah? Thanks for having Good. me. Good. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. I'm super excited to, to hear what you've been up to recently as well. Yeah. But for those that may not have heard you on my first time around, just a quick overview, you know, what your strategy is, your portfolio, roughly how you got into real estate. Let's go through that kind of stuff if you sure. don't mind. Sure. Yeah. So I am a, uh, let's see. Real estate investor, like we all are on the show, I guess. Um, I started in about 2014 is when I bought my first property. I primarily focus on the Burr method, like a lot of people do now, uh, duplex conversions. So I've done uh, a lot lately in the Welland market, also the Hamilton market. So I just love buying you know, older bungalows, throwing a nice three-bedroom suite in the basement, maximizing the, uh, the rents that you can get out of that one property. And uh, that's been, it's been awesome. And my strategies evolved since then a little bit. So I'm, I've picked up a couple of flips here and there as well. But uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm all in on, in this, uh, in this world of investing now. So. Very cool. Awesome. Yeah. You've got lots of experience in the best strategy, in my opinion, is the bro strategy, which you are yeah. doing. And so I, you know, before we, we started recording, we were talking about how we both left our nine to five jobs. Uh, so first and foremost, congratulations to you as well, because you, you uh -huh. took the trigger this year in 2020, retirement 2020, right? <laughs> retirement 2020. And, and congratulations to you. So uh, this is both very fresh uh, for both of us. Absolutely. So how long did it roughly take you? To, to say bye to the job world? Um, well, let's see. So I, I, I left in uh, March of 2020. And I, but like I said, I started investing in real estate in uh, the early part of 2014. And so from that point, I think for me, it, it became apparent in the first couple of years of investing that this can be done, right? So like the, the vision became clear to me after getting a little bit of momentum, you do a couple of refis, you see, you see the cash payments that come in, you see the cash flow coming from rent. And, and then you start to kind of build your spreadsheet and realize this can be done. Like I can build a plan here to replace my income. So for me, I guess that was like six years. Um, 
I probably could have done it faster if I was really, really focused on it. Because the truth is, I really only doubled down on it in about 2017. Uh, 2017, 2018, and then 2019 is kind of uh, where I really got focused and built a plan out and made a decision that I was going to going to exit the corporate world at some point and, uh, and then pulled the trigger in March of 2020. So that's awesome. All right. So we'll, we'll come back to March 2020 because there's lots of interesting things around there. But you, you know, one of the things that you said that resonates with me too is that you started slower and then you started seeing, you know, potentially a couple years later, oh, wow, like this can work. Because I'll, I'll tell you, when you first start, you're like, I'm only getting this cash flow. How am I going to do it? Yeah. You know, I'm only yeah. doing this one property. How is this going to work? How do you go to the next one? And, and, but I'll tell you, at some point, it starts to snowball, right? It's kind of like it starts really slow. You start getting the hang of it. And then you're like, oh, I can refi these, the market, you know, the timing in the market. Yeah. Um, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow, like I bought in a good area. I bought mm-hmm. under market value. This, this appreciated, you got, you got a couple of tenants that turn over and you can reset market runs and some point it snowballs to be able to do it. So, so essentially from what I'm hearing is really in the last three years is when, when your lift happened. Yeah. And for me, it was like, you know, how a lot of people start their first property or two, you start with single family homes because they're the easiest and it's just, it's very turnkey. It's a little more of a buy and hold strategy. So you're not really putting in the renovations. So I, I, I started there uh, and I had, I started with three properties that I bought all in 2014 and uh, they, they really went up in value nicely. I mean, to your point, they didn't cash flow worth garbage, right? They barely covered themselves. Uh, so I, I just held on to them and, and, you know, didn't really do well from a, from a cash flow perspective. But when the, t- when the time came up to renew the mortgages, which was just a year ago now, uh, I looked at all three of those properties and, and saw how, how much the value had gone up in them and made a decision to sell all of them. So I, sell, I sold those and then redeployed the capital into, into duplexes. But that was like one of those great big ahas, like, wow, that's like, you wait, five, five years goes by and then bang, the, the value had gone way up. Now, obviously we were in a really, really strong market of appreciation. Uh, these were in properties uh, in, in a, a town east of Toronto in Bowmanville, the markets had gone uh, just boomed massively. And uh, so just really kind of worked in my uh, favor. So sold those, redeployed cash into more duplexes. And that's what I'm holding now. Awesome. That's great. And, you know, what's your take on, on tenants? Like when you're doing a duplex conversion, I guess for the basement, you know, for Ontario specifically, every market's different, right? There's no like rent control or, or price yeah. increase control per se in the basement portion. But, you know, like, are, are you looking for tenants that turn over in a certain timeline? Or are you looking for those ones that are wanting to be there for a long time? Because a lot of investors, you know, depending on where they are, they might want one versus the other. Personally, for me, I like two to five years, get out, you know? <laughs> totally, totally, yeah, yeah. And that, that has been a change in my thinking as well. Uh, so absolutely, the first three that I bought, the single family homes, my mindset then was, I want to find people that, that they're going to make it their forever home. I would never think like that anymore, Me right? <laughs> now, now when I'm, when I'm filling a, a main floor or a basement in one of my duplexes, the tenant profile I'm attracting tends to be young couples, young families, working professionals, um, most of these guys have aspirations to eventually buy their own home. And that, that works out great for me, right? So they're going to be in the house for a couple of years, maybe three years at most is from what I'm seeing. Then they will turn over and I'll have an opportunity to get into that unit, maybe refresh it a little bit, maybe do a little bit of work here and there and go find a new tenant. And hopefully the market rents have gone up a little bit and then I can increase my cash flow that much more. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. 
Hey, I just want to take a moment and interrupt the podcast to introduce you to my mortgage broker, Dahlia Barsoom, and her team at Streetwise Mortgages. Because everything around us is changing, the world as we know it is not going to be the same. COVID-19, the economic crisis is a time of uncertainty for many of us. And the lending and real estate landscape, they're changing quite rapidly day by day. Today's financing and investment decisions are going to be different than the ones that we made yesterday. Dalia and her team are going to be able to help us maneuver through all of this. They're property investors themselves, so they've worked with thousands of real estate investors across Ontario, and they have their pulse and their finger on what's happening around us in real time from a real estate financing and investments point of view. Her team of advisors are committed to helping us keep informed and get that up-to-date information. And they're also going to be able to help us navigate through this crisis to also mitigate and minimize any financial distress during this whole transition, and also help us emerge out of this in a strong financial position so that we can leverage ourselves for some great opportunities that are going to be coming to us. They've been able to help many investors in times like this by really planning out your plan for the good, but also for the bad, because these circumstances that are happening are going to be very individual for all of us. And they're going to help navigate three key parts, financial stability, financial agility, and opportunity, and help you manage through those three things. When it comes to stability, how can you enhance your reserves and your liquidity to weather the storm? You're going to have a different plan, so it's important to get that individualized plan. How can you utilize mortgage payment deferrals? Should you? Should you not? Why or why not? Any debt restructuring opportunities, those are all things that Dahlia and her team can help you work with. Now, when it comes to financial agility, there's some things that you might want to talk about are how do you make some improvements to your monthly budget so that you can increase your cash flow? Are there any financing tools that you can use to cover some short-term cash flow deficits? When it comes to opportunity, there's going to be some great opportunity that's going to come out of this. How can you set yourself up? for success. So her and her team are going to be able to help you maneuver through these things and create a plan, not only for the good times, but also in times like this, so that you can handle the storm and come out ahead. Feel free to reach out to Dahlia and her team at info at streetwisemortgages.com or go to her website, streetwisemortgages.com. And now back to the show. Yeah, absolutely. Do you mind sharing like like something recent that you bought, you know, like price, purchase price, reno cost, what you're estimating, or if you have the ARV, and then just like the rents on each each of the stories? Sure. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I'll, I'll, I can just speak generally about the properties I bought in Welland. So uh, over the course of about 12 months, we bought five in, in Welland, and all of them were, they're like cookie cutter, right? So they're 1955 or 1960, all brick bungalow about 1,000 to 1,100 square feet on the main floor, okay? So the purchase price for those homes I paid, the lowest I paid for one was 320, the most I paid was 370. Now it's hard to find those for 370. Now they're all kind of uh, four, mm-hmm. four and a quarter. And these are grandma's house when you buy them, right? They're, they need a lot of work upstairs. Uh, a lot of times they'll shag carpet. The kitchen is from the 60s. And so the renovation budget on something like that can quite easily get to about 100 to 125,000, depending on how much work goes in upstairs, plus the suite in the basement. So our strategy has been the same across all these properties. So we modernize the main floor without going overboard. So we, we, in some of them, we've put in some new flooring. If the, if the old floors were super squeaky, new floors. 
kitchens, we've done a bit of a mix. Sometimes we rip kitchens out, put a new kitchen in. Other times we've just painted the cabinets and, and uh, maybe refreshed a couple of appliances. And then we turn our attention to the basement. Basement's always three bedrooms, brand new suite. So we gut it, we gut the basement to the studs and then build from the ground up a brand new suite, three bedrooms, one bath, common space. And the, the, the rents that we're getting on every single one in Welland is the same. So I always charge $16.95 for the top floor and I charge $14.95 for the basement. So call it $1,700 and $1,500. And that is plus all utilities. So I don't pay any of the utilities. They pay their own hydro, they pay their own gas, they pay their own water. So that, that provides pretty decent cash flow on a property that's, you know, caught, let's see, my holding costs on that is gonna be somewhere around $2,000, let's say, right? With the mortgage and uh, the property tax and the insurance. Okay, cash flow, once you factor in all, all the stuff roughly per, per property is what? So, like, it depends how you look at cash flow, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, if you wanna be very conservative and you wanna put in your maintenance contingency and your, your vacancy contingency, I think it's gonna be roughly in the $800 per property mark. But when you self-manage, you, you know, you tend to look at, at least the way I do it, right? I have a bank account for every property mm-hmm. and I just, I just see the funds coming in and I always just want to look for, I want to buffer in that account of at least $5,000, hopefully mm-hmm. $10,000 in the account. And then everything over and above that is just, that's just gravy to me at that point, right? And then, mm-hmm. so some, some of the properties I have are uh, the ones I bought at a little bit of a lower value. You know, to me, they, they cash flow in the $1,200 per month uh, range. And, uh, you know, and then there's some, there's some other costs because yes, I've dipped into home equity lines of credit to do some renovations. So I have to service that debt. But uh, one thing I always like to remind people is you got to remember that the money that you borrow for these, for these projects, if you're on your home equity line of credit, that's all a tax write-off. So make sure you work with a good accountant to, to help reduce your income as well. And that helps with the, with the tax bill at the end of the year. So, yeah, absolutely. So, so just to go back. So thanks for sharing that insight. Cause then it, it helps a lot of people thinking, okay, well, what am I looking at? So, so rentals are, you said were roughly what, 120 on average? Yeah, I would say the lowest I paid for rentals on a, on a house. And one of those was, was about a hundred and that's HST included. The most I paid was probably about 125, maybe pushing 130. And that was one of the ones that required a little bit more work upstairs and required, you know, maybe three to $5,000 to expand the driveway, for example, because maybe the, the parking wasn't wide enough. So, mm-hmm. so some of those things will, you know, will, will start to add up a little bit. And that's inclusive of, you know, you're getting your, your BCIN designer to do the floor plans, uh, the permit costs, those kinds of things. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. I want to take a quick pause from the podcast to introduce you to some of my amazing contractors on this week's episode. I wanted to introduce you to Rob and Joel from White's Elm Design Build. And Rob and Joel just finished my major renovations on my latest Burlington project. And it was a full renovation and absolutely worth it. They've been super easy to work with. I wanted to give you guys some insights on some of the services that they offer their clients and they focus on Oakville to Hamilton and beyond, but they're really great. Like if you guys are ever in a property and you want to FaceTime or video call Rob or Joel, they can actually give you some insights on what to look for and also how much we are looking at renovations. Because if you're thinking about doing a flip 
or a burr project, the rhino part is really important to get right to also figure out how much it's going to cost and what rhinos are going to be needed to get the actual maximum after repair value. So super important. They will gladly do these video calls or conference calls with you guys to give you some of those insights. They're really good at getting back to clients quickly. They can also do physical walkthroughs. If you guys are thinking about purchasing a property or you have it under contract, they can do that with you. They're super professional and uh, they've been very involved in my latest project and uh, really on the ball. So super easy to communicate with. They finished on time, on budget which is really important as we know. And they've got a whole team of trades. They line them up so that they're as efficient as possible. And they work with a lot of investors, but they also do some of the higher end flip types of projects too. So they work on everything in between. They're fully licensed, insured, WSIB covered. So feel free to reach out to them. They are able to be found at whiteelmdesignbuild.com. That is white elmdesignbuild.com or you can send them an email joel j-o-e-l at whiteelmdesignbuild.com or rob at whiteelmdesignbuild.com good luck on your next projects now back to the show right right and then yeah. and then what do you get as a as a refinance amount usually on on those as an average well it is starting to do better so now um now we're starting to see refis it close to the 500 a thousand mark on those. So, so then you're able to pull out a little bit of the capital. So the, I, I wouldn't say these fall into the category of being a perfect burr where you're getting a hundred percent of your renos. Is, and is your there down. really that any perfect burrs left though? I mean, like you might do a perfect burr one of every 10, but at the end of the day, like just in my opinion, anyways, as long as, so, and I don't know what you, how you, you run the numbers, as long as you pay back all of your holding costs, all of your reno costs, and like, even just like half of your down payment, I'm happy because I can pull this out. Totally happy with that too. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm quite happy to leave some equity uh, locked up in there for a period of time, because the thing we have to remember too, is the refi doesn't only have to happen once, you know, at the end of the renovation, you can, you can refi again a year later or two years later. Right. Mm -hmm. I just went through this on one of my Hamilton properties that I have. It's also a duplex. And I just went through a second refi on it. The first time it, the appraisal came in at five ten. Two years later, the appraisal came in at six thirty. right? So so the, the burr can be a multi-year strategy as well, right? You get, you get to get your paydays a couple of times throughout the course that you hold or through the, the duration that you hold that property. Yeah, exactly. And then the other thing I would just go back to that you mentioned is your HELOCs. Like if you're servicing the debt, I mean, at some point you can refinance and do a cash out refinance if it makes sense and you're still cash flowing. I mean, obviously you never want to be too leveraged, but then you can take that and you can pay off your HELOC so that you're not servicing that debt anymore at that point in time. It opens up Absolutely. that amount again, and then you can reuse that for the next property afterwards. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, that's a good point too, is I've done it both ways, right? When I've refied, sometimes I've done a cash out to, to pay back another HELOC that I had to, to, to help me kind of propel forward. Other times when I didn't need the capital right away, I'm, I'm just quite happy to, to get a new HELOC set up on that property knowing that it's there, the money is there if I need it for another property, but I'm not making payments against it until I start to use it. So yeah, yeah, exactly. That's awesome. And, uh, and then do you have any special like tenant screening measures processes? Do you do that? Do you, do you hire somebody to do that? How do you find your tenants right now? I do it all myself. Um, I, I, 
I tend to find, I would say the majority of my tenants I'm finding on Facebook now, that's really changed actually in the last few years. It used to be, I would find them all on Kijiji. And now Kijiji seems to have just dried right up for me uh, in that market, at least where the, the leads don't just don't come in like they used to. I don't know why that is, uh, or it's just maybe Facebook marketplace has become more popular for people to be hunting for property or for, for apartment rentals. So I'm finding the, ma the majority on Facebook. I've been using Zumper a little bit too, hit and miss there. Get a lot of leads through Zumper, but very little follow-up from the people that reach out. But what, so what I, my strategy is I get somebody to reach out through Facebook Marketplace. I engage them in a conversation very quickly just to kind of see, you know, who they are, what's their story, why are they looking, why are they moving? And I, and I start to, I start to, you know, put in some pre-screening questions right away, just through that conversation. Like, what do you do for mm -hmm. income? How many people, any, any pets and all those questions. And then if I like what I'm hearing, then I generally will send them to a, a Google form and they fill out some more questions for me. And that's where I'll get things like, well, what, what is their income? What's the credit look like? And so that's, that's just part of my funnel of the, getting them through that screening process. And then once they kind of pass that gate, then I might get them on a phone call, ask them a couple more questions. And at the end of that, then I start to look at, all right, who, who am I going to invite to a showing? And, and uh, by the time I have the showing, they're, they're pretty highly qualified at that point already. So I might only show, it, show the apartment to, you know, three to five people tops. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot of people that you screen out. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to, I've, I've done it the other way too, right? Where I, I'll do like the open house style and I show up and say, hey, I'll be at the property between three and four or three and five on a Saturday. And, and then, you know, it's just like the quality of candidates that come through are just not there. No. And, yeah. and a lot, and so many no-shows and it's just like, oh, I got better things to be doing than this. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it is important. So it sounds like your process is thorough as well. And so is mine. And this is like, you know, if you're living in a province where the rules and regulations are, are pro-tenant and it's going to be mm. really hard to get the wrong ones out and it's going to take a long time, this is going to be the part for people to really pay attention to and be thorough. And everybody's going to have a different like little you know nuances and different things to that they that they do that they don't do but just make sure that your process is as thorough as possible so yeah. that you can weed people through because I'll tell you there's just a lot of people that will start applying but they are definitely the wrong tenants and I and I want to go back you mentioned something interesting when you're asking them about Facebook what do you do for income not do you have a job because you got to be careful with that's right yeah. and like what you can ask and what you cannot ask and what you can say no to and what you can you know what you yeah you, you can't. So I think that's just a, an important yeah. thing because you can't really say no, you can't really like say no to somebody if they don't have employment income, but maybe they're on disability or whatnot. Like you got to be careful yeah. with how you word things. And it's a blend. So I always, I'm always asking them about what's their household income and you know, where, what is the source of the income? And I let them tell me, right? So mm -hmm. they get, they get some child benefits. Uh, maybe one of the uh, household is getting some Ontario works. Maybe the other one works full time. It's the whole picture though, right? Yeah, and so, yeah. you, and I look at if the cost of the rent is $1,700, you know, generally my rule of thumb is I'm looking for the income to be three times that, right? Me too, me yeah. too. And I will say this is important because a lot of people don't understand they can't afford it, right? So maybe they may, the, the rent is like 2000 and then they're making like 3000 gross. They're not going to be able to afford no. that rent for very long, but a lot of people don't like aren't very good with their finances, so they have no idea what they can afford or not. So it it's important never, that we tell them. <laughs> it never but, ceases to amaze me that exact point about how yeah. many people will apply and they'll say, "I I, I earn twenty five hundred dollars a month, and the and the rent on the place they're applying for is seventeen hundred plus utilities." So then I I say to them, "Well, you need to budget probably about nineteen fifty with your utility costs." 
and you're making and you're making 2500 so sometimes i will just engage them in a quick conversation like do you have a car payment yep okay do you eat like are like <laughs> like how do how are you doing the math here like and then yeah. I, so anyway so i yeah i i don't want to sometimes i find like i'm giving financial advice to people to tenants that are applying and i tend to get engage them a little bit in conversation because you know at the end of the day you're going to get to know these tenants, right? When you place them in your unit, like you're going to get to know them. You're going to, you're going to hear from them once in a while. So I want to know that it is somebody that I can have a conversation with that there's a, there's mutual respect. They don't, they don't talk down to me or talk trash. Like I, there's just red flags that come up sometimes just based on the way they communicate too. Right. Yeah, absolutely. The only thing I will go back and say though, even though I have a three to one and, and Scott has a three to one, your tenant, you don't want to tell your tenant that that is your hard rule and disqualify them on that. Cause essentially you can get yourself in trouble. Yeah. So, so yeah. everybody's got their internal processes and their internal criteria, but I would just say like, don't share that with them. If they're not the right person for whatever reason, just don't give them a reason so that you don't get yourself in trouble because essentially you can't have a fast rule that says they have to have three times the income. You can suggest it, but don't mm-hmm. give them that reason as, as why you are saying no to them because you could get yourself in trouble. Yeah. And every once in a while, you will get somebody that comes back to you and says, uh, you know, why wasn't I chosen? Right. Right. And, um, the, the standard answer just has to be something vague along the lines of, oh, we decided to go with, uh, with another candidate or another applicant. And that they say, why? It's like, it, we chose somebody else. And, and, and sometimes I will say something like, hey, I work with a, I work with a business partner and we make these decisions uh, together, you know, whether or not that's true on that property, it, it, whatever. It just helps kind of shoulder the, uh, the burden a little bit of having to deliver that news. And most mm-hmm. people, most people aren't, won't pry too much because what you'll find is that they've probably been turned down before as well. Right. And so they're, yes, they're getting frustrated, but uh, it, it just happens. Yeah. I, I love, so what I usually do is I'm like, Hey, you know, thank you so much for applying. We just had so many applications and, and usually it's true. We had so much applications. I only have this one property and I have to pick somebody. So unfortunately I just went ahead and picked somebody else. However, if you want, I'll keep your information on file. If something else comes up, I'll give you a call. We can connect then. So I yep. find that if you leave it somewhat open, they'll be like, you know, on their better behavior essentially. And they'll be like, okay, well, you know, there might be a chance for, for them to call me back for something yeah. different. So I, I found that that line just works awesome. Awesome, and they don't really ask why. It was like one property. I've got like a dozen people. Like it's just, you know, that's the numbers. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, that works. Yep. Awesome. So what's next for you? Well, I mean, for me, it's like you know, now that I've um, well, as of recording this, we're I'm about six months into my self-employment journey. So uh, being in the full-time investing world. So for me, it's uh, it's figuring out. I'm, and I, I'll be honest, I'm still, I'm still figuring it out. Like, what is my strategy going to be going forward? Because now that I don't have the nine to five job, I don't have a T4 income. It's a little harder to go out and get a, a new mortgage. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you'll, you'll, you'll learn this as well. <laughs> I know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so like, that's why I started getting into doing a couple of flips because I can still acquire properties. Uh, I can use private money to buy and I don't have to worry about holding it because I, I, I'm going to sell it at the end of the project. So, you know, have a couple of those that are, that are in process. But then the other thing is that, so there's, a, there's one property that we're, con- a duplex that we're working on right now. It's in Hamilton. And like this one, I'm super excited about. It's a, it's a big property, two big units. And the, the further we go down the path of renovating it, the more I'm hungry to want to keep it, right? And I bought it uh, with private uh, lender money. And so now I'm, I'm hunting harder 
figuring out there's got to be a way that I can get this thing financed because I want to keep it in my portfolio because I know it's going to be a good, like strong asset that's going to cash flow. It's going to appreciate. It's a great area on the West Hamilton Mountain. So I can't I can't bear to sell it if I don't have to. Mm-hmm. So I've been so I've been like chasing down different brokers, going directly to different banks, credit unions, you know, just just trying to build those relationships. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm starting conversations now with some B lenders and I, and I recently put together like the whole document package and here's the story. And it's what I, I've actually been pleasantly surprised that I'm, I'm not being shot down right away now. And I, cause like I was always thinking that it's gotta be an A lender or nothing for a refi, but that doesn't have to be the case, right? No. So a B lender is looking at my portfolio and looking at net worth and looking at rental income and saying, hey, you know, I think we have something to work with here. Now, we're probably not going to get like the you know, 2% A lender rate, but we might be in the 4% range, which to me sounds pretty good. I mean, I'm, I'm quite happy to, to get that. So I'm chasing those angles down because I want to figure out how do I keep going and acquiring property. And I don't necessarily want to only do it through joint ventures. I have done a couple of joint ventures, but I don't want that to be my only way. I would rather do more and, and own more of, of the, of the outcome. So there's something to be said about that, right? Because I, I know it's like, there's, there's good and there's bad, but the fact that you can own something and have full control over 30 years or more, if you want over a property, there's something to be said about that because, you know, like, yes, you, you could go the easy route, bring in somebody for 20% to be a mortgage holder as an example, or something along those lines. Right. But there's, there's, you know, it's good that you're thinking outside the box and you're reaching out because it's not just a lenders. You, you fit in this little box with a lenders, but I'll tell you the credit unions. I mean, I'm glad you mentioned that there's lots of options yeah. you know, that you can pull from there. And then between two and 4%, like it's still cheap money. <laughs> oh yeah, it is. And it will still cash flow pretty well. Right. And, and, and you have to remember that if you get uh, a credit union or a B lender or whatever on, on a property, I mean, maybe five years later after having it cash flow Okay. Five years later, maybe there's an opportunity to refinance it again with an A lender at lower rates. But who knows what the rates will be like at that point in time. But it's not like that's the the end game, right? There's always going to be opportunities down the road. Or maybe at some point I do sell the property, right? Maybe it's gone up so much in value that I want to I want to take the uh, take the equity out, right? Mm-hmm. So there's just I, that's what's so awesome about about real estate investing is that there's just options on the table at all times. You have control over your outcome. Um, you just, you can be, you can be active in the game, right? It's not, it doesn't feel like a game of chance, which yeah. is what I, yeah, right, yeah. You know, in time too, like little mistakes are forgivable. You just hang, keep hanging on to the property. But I, I will yeah. say too, like Scott, I mean, you're, you're flipping a couple, but I'm sure you've got some, some backup strategies in case that you can't sell. Cause I think that's the important part, right? Is, is yeah. every single strategy you want to have a backup plan to your original. Yeah. And well, and of course, when you flip it, the, the, the buy matters more than anything when you're when you're flipping, right? Like you'll hear people say you, you should be buying at 60% of ARV um, to, so that you're protected enough in case the market doesn't go where you need it to go. Uh, but there also has to be that backup plan that if, it, if the market's not ready for me to sell when the property's done, maybe I will have to rent it. Maybe I'll need to carry it for another year or two. And those are all options that you have to be okay with, right? Multiple exit strategies really, really matters. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the last question before our lightning round, but I wanted to talk to you about this. So, so you left your job. I left my job recently. We kind of both left mid COVID, but you left right at the beginning when yeah. this whole thing started back in March. So how yeah. did that all play itself out for you? It scared the crap out of me. First of all, I'm, I'll be honest. I mean, I was confident that I was, I was going to, you know, pull the, pull the trigger and go all in on real estate. 
but I had no idea the world was melting down. Like, so I, I literally gave my notice the, the week of the world starting to shut down. So just before that happened, like I remember the next day. So I gave my notice at my, my company the next day it was, you know, I hear on the news, Oh my goodness, the NBA season's been shut or canceled the rest of the season then NHL. And I'm like, these, this sounds like a pretty big deal. Like, what have I done? Like the world is ending. And I just walked away from a good corporate job. Like, I'm an idiot. So <laughs> this, this is, of course, what's going through your head, right? Like all that negative talk that sometimes we face. But here's where things got a little bit crazy. So, and then of course, you know, then we're right in the thick of COVID and um, the politicians are out every day talking to us and sharing and there's a lot of fear out there. And I was worried about my tenants being able to pay rent and all those things were going through my head. But then the worst part of it is that Three weeks after I left my job, and I'm starting to be okay. This is fine. We're going to figure this out. I have like I, I I left because I had, you know, cash flow coming in. I could I could I could do it. But three weeks into me leaving, my wife gets a phone call uh, the one morning, and they tell her that oh we're we're being affected by COVID and we're going to have to let some people go. So <laughs> so you have to realize that part of my comfort in leaving my job was that my wife was still working. Right. She lost she lost her job. And she got the she got the phone call April first, and no, it was not an April Fool's Day joke. And she got and they basically said two weeks notice, April fifteenth, you're done. And so then we're both looking at ourselves, going, okay, now things just got really uh, serious right. here. Right? So and, and plus, you have three kids, I believe, right? Two, two kids, two kids. Okay, yeah, two two daughters. One of which is in first year university. <laughs> so it's there, you know, that's expensive. Yeah. Uh, and the second's going into grade twelve. And uh, so anyway, she lost her job, but you know what? We did not panic. We just we kind of took a look at our portfolio and we looked at, and, and I've been doing this all along anyways, right? I had the spreadsheets going. I knew how much income was coming in from jobs versus real estate. And then what I did is I used the opportunity to double down on some private lending that I had, I had started about a year earlier. So I had, I had some private lending going on, which generates some decent cash flow. So I did a bit more of that. So I, I doubled down on some lending to kind of generate more instant cash flow. And you know, and here we are, it's been six months now, and neither one of us are working. My wife and I are both very active in the real estate business, and we're, we're doing just fine, right? And, we're, and we, have, we, we bought three properties since COVID started, and we're, we're moving forward. I put in probably five offers in the last two weeks. Mind you, it's impossible to buy stuff now because everything's going multiple offers, but <laughs> we're still trying, right? <laughs> So, that's, I mean, that's a really, that's a really cool story. I mean, and how you came out of it, how you didn't panic because as everything was shutting down, like that's when it was the scariest for people. Right. And, and throughout the summer, I mean, you know, there becomes kind of better normal than yeah. it was back, but you really like, you really left in the midst of like when there was, I think in the, in my opinion, the more most of the panic of what it was, was most, happening because there was, it was a the lot uns of unknowns. Uncertainty everywhere. And there was all sorts of, you know, people were putting on webinars. Here's how to talk to your tenants. And so I was, I did what a lot of people did. I reached out proactively to my tenants. I sent out emails and I said, Hey, if you're, if you're affected by this, please come to me. We'll talk about payment plans. And nobody was affected, right? I mean, CERB certainly helped those that were impacted yeah. from, from their jobs, but like I didn't fall behind on rent with anybody. Um, all of them are now back to work again. So it, it, was, it was a bit of a blip in terms of a panicky moment there. But in hindsight, we're, we're, we're doing fine now. Now we'll see because now we're kind of in the so-called second wave. And so who knows where, where this is all going to go. But I'm feeling a lot better about it now, at least. right? Like I feel like we weathered that storm and it kind of, it helped me become more confident and know that I can, I can figure this out, right? 
Yeah, so. absolutely. And it sounds like you're a good landlord too. You've reached out to your, your tenants. You've mm -hmm. offered them so, some solutions if they get stuck. And I think that's the important thing to do, right? You want to get a good pulse on what was happening. Cause in the beginning too, I was like, so we're probably gonna have to carry everything at some point, but, yeah. and going back and, and for me, luckily, like everyone was good. Everyone was paid, like paying some people were on serve, but they, you know, they respect me enough to be able to know that like I have bills to pay and this and that. Right. So like we, and we are mm -hmm. good. Like if they need repairs, we're, we're out there like, you know, well, not me, but yeah. <laughs> a handyman <laughs> or somebody is, is out there, you know, and, and we do treat them well. Like they are paying customers in my opinion. And I think that that's a big piece. Cause then you, we, you hear around all of these tenants that took advantage of it. Oh well, yeah. Have any, it didn't sound like you had any as well, but no. the thing I want to go back to that you mentioned is you have a buffer for every account, for every property. And I think that's going to be important, right? Because if something does happen, if, you know, who knows, who knows what will happen, but have a good buffer. Well, you said five to 10 grand per property. Everyone's going to have a little bit of a different, mm -hmm. how much, but like, let's just say you had to carry something for three, four five months. Are you going to be able to do that? Or are you going to lose the properties? Right. And I think that's, um, that's a good way to plan for the downturn. If there is a downturn and there might not be a whole lot of a downturn and there might be right, but just, yeah. just have a good buffer so that you can carry the properties if needed. And it's going to give you peace of mind and you're going to be able to sleep a lot better at night. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You nailed it. You nailed it. So you gotta, you gotta have some, some reserves, some cash available to you to, to weather those storms, whether that is access to your HELOC or whether that is, you know, you've just, you're sitting on a bit of cash uh, per account. Like you, you just need those options available to you, right? You can't be running so lean that, you know, somebody doesn't pay rent one month that you're bankrupted. Like that's, that's a bad idea. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, Scott, I mean, we can keep talking forever and ever <laughs> about like so many different things, but I'll have to have you back for a third time at some point. Um, the next part of this podcast is the lightning round. So you probably have heard these questions. I don't know if you have the same answers. Uh, answers. I forget now. Well, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see, I guess. Um, so are you ready to play the lightning round? Let's do it. All right. First answer that comes to mind. Number one, what is your favorite real estate investing book ever? Favorite ever. Uh, I've read lots of them. Uh, the one that I've, I'm going to call out this time. Okay. Rich Dad Poor Dad is my favorite ever. The second most favorite that I read most recently is uh, probably on my shelf here. It's the RSP secret, which is around how to get to people to, uh, to invest their RSP dollars into, um, you know, as a second mortgage or first mortgage, right? So if you start to unlock how to, how to help people passively invest using their RSP funds, uh, that, that can open a lot of opportunity. So I just, uh, I just did one actually recently with a, with a former coworker of mine who reached out, wanted to do some investing. We talked about what options they had, what cash they had, they had RSPs. And so we, we put a, we put a mortgage together. So it's pretty cool. Amazing. I'm looking at your background and I have a few of your books too. I can't read all of them from there, but I'm like, we, I, we have a, I think we have similar libraries. <laughs> I just, yeah, my, this is, this is the classic from Stefan Arneo, right? Money people deal. Yeah. Um, that, that's a great one too, but. I see the Tony Robbins as well in the back. I have that one too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. We'll, we'll talk about our books a different day. Number two, what is your favorite podcast? Come on. How much will I answer that? This is okay. a great one, Sarah. No, 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 no. So other than mine, other than mine, because listeners want to know, like they're already tuning into yeah. mine, but what else is there that you like to listen to? Um, I, I listen to lots of them. I, I, from a Canadian content perspective, I really like Andrew Hines is um, the Andrew yeah. Hines real estate investing podcast. I like how he goes deep into numbers with people. So I get a lot of value out of listening to his, but I, my podcast list is pretty full. I've got, I got tons on the go, some US ones as well. So very cool. All right. Next question. Number three, what is your favorite pastime aside from real estate? Hanging out with family. I love driving. I, you know, I've taken my car to the track a few times. That's fun. When uh, do you drive? Uh, right now, it's a BMW M2. Okay, cool. Yeah. 
Very nice. Very nice. I just bought a, a Tesla Model Y. Oh my goodness. Delivered. <laughs> nice. Nice. I, well, that'll maybe be my next one is, uh, is something electric. We'll see. I, I will tell you that tax um, depreciation on its own was worth it for me to get it this year. Oh, yeah. Talk yeah. to your accountants. I'm not one of them, but talk to your accountant because that was a big decision for me to do. Nice. Um, based, on, based on that. <laughs> <laughs> Number four, if you lost all your money and your assets tomorrow, how would you start again? Like, because I've already been through it and I know what to do. So I would, I would just, I would probably start working with, uh, you know, find a partner. You're saying if I lost all my assets? Oh, that's like, I don't, I don't want to think about it that way, Sarah. That's, that's rough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would probably find a money partner, right? And, uh, you know, and, and be the working partner, put the, put the sweat equity in, do, it, do a deal or two. And I would, I would certainly follow the formula that I'm used to, which is buy a, buy a bungalow, suite it, get the cash flow going, and then hopefully, you know, a money partner that's willing to do a handful of deals together. Amazing. JV with a burr, burr with a JV partner. Yeah. If I had no assets, yes, I guess that's what I'd have to do. <laughs> All right. Last question. Number five, if somebody has $50,000, they want to get started. How would you recommend they spend that money? Hmm. Well, actually it could be, could be similar, similar answer to that. I mean, put it, put it with somebody that's actually doing, doing work, get your money working. If you, if you are bold, you could go do it yourself, right? I mean, with 50 grand, you could actually, you could go buy a property. I mean, you're not going to buy in necessarily Hamilton, but you could go to a fringe market. And, and get started. You could buy a property. You could start with a buy and hold. I'm, I'm just a big um, advocate of the thinking, you just got to start. I know a lot of people might say, let's go uh, do a lot of education with that, with that money. Don't, don't invest all of it into you know, attending some seminars and things like that. Think of, think of your education as actually taking action and, and learning as you go with your money. So that's what I would say. I think it's just, you got you to gotta be smart and and don't waste time because it's about time in the market, right? So get your, get your foot in the, in the market, buy a property, let some time go by, refinance it, do it again, and uh, enjoy the benefits. All right. Awesome. That's great. So Scott, where can the listeners reach out and find out more about you? Um, I'm pretty active on Facebook and Instagram. So, you know, just uh, look me up on either of those channels and uh, feel free to connect and let's have a conversation. What's your uh, handle there? It's my name. So Scott underscore Zandbergen on Instagram. I think it's Scott, just Scott Zandbergen on uh, Facebook. All right. Awesome. And yeah. any final last words of advice? Just go for it. Start, start, start. And, and also, you know, if you, if you do have a great corporate job and, um, and you don't have any intentions of, of uh, leaving in the next five or 10 years, still start. Like, uh, find somebody you can work with, invest passively. Um, I just mentioned the RSP thing a minute ago. If you've got like a nice nest egg of RSPs, carve some of that out and put, and go get, go to get a second mortgage with your RSP and watch the returns you're going to get off of that and compare it to the mutual funds that your, that your employer is convincing you to buy. Um, <laughs> just like you got to start there. And I think that opens, uh, opens people's eyes a little bit to go this, this real estate is it, it's, there's, there's something there, right? And that'll yeah. often take you down a path of wanting to become more active. So, Awesome. Great advice. Thank you, Scott, for being on the show. And uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. You're just uh, full of great insights and tips. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me on, Sarah. Hey, guys. Before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? 
I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons, and at the time they all seemed very valid, but as I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away, and eventually only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that. And the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking for ways that worked, and also, most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven, repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven-figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes, and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step online program. It's called Rise, and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster and with less of the headaches that I had. So it consists of all the templates and the resources that I use, plus over 40 instructional videos that you get lifetime access to for just a small one-time investment. And, you know, my recommendation is to make the time now to invest in yourself and grow your portfolio to seven figures so that you can bring your retirement dreams closer. If you want some more information about Rise, just go to sarahlarby.com forward slash R-I-S-E to access more details and book your spot. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.